Hello there. This is Laura Camacho. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is episode 152, all about executive loneliness and how to avoid it with Nick Johnson. Nick is a co-founder at EGN, which is the Executives Global Network for Singapore and Indonesia. He's Asia's number one executive peer network founder. He's an author. He was awarded in Singapore in the Entrepreneurial Award in 2021, a keynote speaker and an Ironman top athlete. So welcome, Nick Johnson, to the Speak Up podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Laura, for inviting me tonight. So tell us, Nick, you're in Singapore. So how did you get involved in working with executives? How did you get to Singapore? Like, were you born there? So give us a little background on your story. It must be super interesting. Yes, uh, thanks, Laura. Indeed, uh, Singapore was not the place I was born. I was born in Sweden and uh, in North Europe, but I found it a little bit cold and chilly. So I wanted to move somewhere where it was a bit warmer indeed. And I moved to Australia in the 90s. But after that, then I thought uh, Australia was too far away from Europe. So I made my way halfway. And since then, now the last 20 years, I worked in Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, and now in the last five years, in Singapore. So that's where I am. And uh, I've been working in the corporate uh, career before, uh, mainly as a general manager for the big multinationals and so on. And later on, I took up the entrepreneurial journey and now find myself as a business owner running confidential peer groups in Singapore for senior executives and business owners. Very cool. And, and you know, for those of you listening, you know that this is a, a newish topic for the Speak Up podcast. We really focus on having, you know, conversations, holding people accountable, asking for things, uh, stepping up into a higher leadership position. But today we're actually tackling a mental health issue of workplace loneliness, workplace isolation, and especially executive loneliness. And before I have Nick talk a little bit about that. I just want to say that this topic also surprised me. You know, we all know the saying, it's lonely at the top, but it also comes with a lot of perks. That we're, and, you know, I think the human nature, especially the people in this audience, we're all like driven to, to do more, be more, have more, contribute more, add more value. And now you're going to tell us, well, executive loneliness in that recipe too. So tell you know, like enlighten us because a lot of us are kind of know about the loneliness aspect and may, is it related to be working from home? You know, give us some, some background on that, please. Yes, indeed. It can be lonely at the top. And I would say now I know a lot more and I wish I knew it before I jumped in my career because it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. I think it's it's a choice we can make. And it's depending if we surround ourselves with people who we talk to, uh, if we have a coach outside our workplace, if we have a mentor we talk to, or if we have for a peer group or some trusted network we can talk to. And as you will hear from me, Laura, I believe it's very important to both have a professional network where you can talk about your work-related challenges and a personal network which you can talk about your personal issues and challenges you're going through. The learning for me in this is that when I went through the corporate ladder all the way, uh, basically from account executive up to general manager, I didn't have that support. I kept most of the challenges inside me 
And that was a very painful place to be. Oh, I'm sure. And, and also, you know, when your early career, a lot of times your friends are the, your colleagues, but, and then in the executive suite, your colleagues may be friendly, but I think it can be like not a good idea to think of them as your friends. But why is that, Nick? Well, if you're in a, in a large organization, indeed, there can be perhaps 15, 20 of you at the same level and one or two are to be promoted. Then it's quite natural that there will be jealousy and people will perhaps try to take advantage if they know everything that is happening. So naturally, we close down and we don't talk about perhaps the challenges in the workplace. The problem is if we don't have then somewhere else to talk about this, that's when perhaps you're keeping it inside you. And, and if I'm looking back at my career, that's perhaps also when I made a lot of bad decisions. And that led later on to actually my mental health crash when I, in 2014 and 15, when I had a big challenges, both in my workplace and at home. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about crashing. I, I spoke to a, a client over the past couple months and he's very young he's only 30 in his early 30s and he even though he's not a top executive he also had the problem of just working too much and he also had a health crisis so it, it, it is you don't think of your job in tech or finance as being life or death but definitely your health is important not only to you but to your family and to the people that you know, depend on you for leadership. They say, you know, that you have to what take care of the goose that lays the golden eggs. And each of us is that goose and no, nobody else is going to take care of you, right? You, you think that it's just is all that your health and physical and emotional is just always going to be there, right? Like it is when you're a teenager, but it can deteriorate. Would you say, would you agree? Yes, definitely. And there's no one's really who's teaching us how we should do this because the company will just want to perhaps get the best results from you. So they drive you hard and they will most likely give you all kinds of trainings. And if you show any signs that you need some support, they will perhaps give you a mentor internally in the organization to set up strong and firm KPIs and drive you harder and drive you more and develop <laughs> you further. But Perhaps uh, it's not there for the right place to really get that comfort and to discuss perhaps the, the challenges, the things that gives you anxiety, the things that you don't know how to deal with. And, and let's be honest here that we human beings might not always know how to handle conflict and so on. And too many times we keep it inside us and we go then perhaps to bed without having some of these issues discussed or resolved. And that is where the issue is. And and that is a, a pattern. And if we go down that path, which I then did for many years and didn't talk about it, I didn't feel like I should talk to my wife about it when I came home. And I didn't really talk to my friends about it. I had fun with my friends, typical man in that sense, perhaps we cycled or we played golf or we did things together. We had a good time. But did I really speak honestly about how I felt and the issues at work? I had no, I didn't. And I, that is quite common among men, at least is what I found out. Yeah, I think men and women, because also when you are in that the higher level, the top, say, third of an organization, it seems to me like if you admit that you're having a problem or could be on the way to having a problem, that that can be seen as a weakness or you're afraid that it will hurt your chances of moving up to the next level. Is that a factor? 
Yes, absolutely. And I did a survey here in 2020 among senior executives, and it showed that 84% of the respondents would not talk about their feelings and uh, loneliness, for example, and anxiety within their company. So 84%, that's a huge majority who simply will not talk about it. And then when I researched this a little bit further, I also found research uh, showing that 75% also don't seek help for it. So that means that they're not talking about it. They're not seeking help for it. So what do you do? Well, you carry it inside and it's there unsolved. And that is what leads to stress, burnout, and unhealthiness. Right. And and it is, you know, you do think of men as being less communicative about their feelings. And I think that's probably a safe generalization to make. However, I do know that anxiety and depression among women is at unprecedentedly high levels, that even anxiety and depression is the number one problem that women bring to their OBGYN physicians who are not even, that's not their expertise, but yet that's the medical physician or expert that they feel more comfortable with. So Nick, we are establishing that this is a problem. It's also, you know, the breakdown of our society, people being more mobile, families are less stable, people are going to church less, less participation in, um, say, organizations like, I don't know, Rotary or Kiwanis. So there's a lot of breakdown in what used those structures that used to support us. So what is the answer? <laughs> well, and you, you touched on something there, Laura, which I think is very important to emphasize the fact that we don't belong, perhaps, as you said, to the local bowling alley. We don't belong to the church anymore. So where do we belong? Well, we many times, perhaps, outside of work, then isolate ourselves at home. And especially during the pandemic, the last two years, people have comfortably isolated themselves at home. And perhaps it's not been the best for us. If you ask the introverts, for example, they might have felt comfortable uh, being alone at home during this pandemic, but that doesn't mean that it's the best for them. I'm an introvert myself, and I know that I'm very comfortable here in my dungeon, but I don't feel very good eventually. I need to get out and meet people, even if it is to go for a walk with someone or go for a lunch and have a conversation. We are human beings. We need that. So uh, the answer is indeed that we, we need to socialize. We need to have these belongings. And that is why when someone perhaps go too far and have a burnout and like myself, when I had my crash, which led to uh, resigning from my job, I also uh, then went through a divorce in a very difficult time. And this should never have happened. I should have addressed it early on, but I didn't. And it, sadly, it went that far. And I'm not alone. I mean, people no. have been <laughs> suffering here in this space, Laura, in the last two years. Let's face it. Yeah, it's true. And, it, and in a way, your company is not equipped to be your safe space or your happy place. Work is called work for a reason. And I think, well, you know, I do a lot of work with cultures and the reason why culture is such a popular topic. Well, you know, suppose, it, you know, in theory anyway, and, and probably truthfully, it does help with keeping your people working and happy and employed and not leaving you. But maybe we're asking too much of our work to fulfill us emotionally and, and not not thinking that we need to look for a group outside of the work to have those conversations about what's really going on or where we feel insecure. And if you're human, if you're not a psychopath, 
you should feel insecure some of the time because hopefully you're growing and taking on projects that you really don't know exactly how to do them. Yes, I completely agree with you. And, and this, we talked about the belongingness and so on. And you also touched upon the local church and so on. And I think it's important to notice that, you know, in the old days, people tend to go to church or they tend to believe in something. These days, what do we believe in? Is it the digital revelation? Is it, the, is it work? <laughs> and just, you know, showing off on social media and so on. Perhaps we lost touch with that. And it's too much that is ego inflated. We're showing off on social media. We're trying to look at the best. But does it make us feel happy and connected to uh, something bigger than ourselves at the end of the day? Most likely not. Right, exactly. I mean, it just can't. I mean, you're, I mean, companies do good work, right? I mean, I just recently did a workshop for a super large company about helping mid-career people give more effective presentations to the C-suite. And we talked about at that top level, all the pressures because it's not just the day-to-day decisions, but the in this case, it was farmers all over the planet that depended on this company. It was retailers all over the planet and often mom and pop shops that depend on this company. You think about the stock price that teachers, firefighters, common blue-collar workers, their pensions include stock of your company. If it doesn't do well, all of those people can be affected. So that that is a lot of pressure outside of the day-to-day business decision-making. And, you know, our goal in communication, of course, if you're talking to the C-suite is to help them make better decisions. And I would assume, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that having a better mental health, being able to talk about your issues with other people is going to help you be a better executive, right? Definitely. And it is about finding that safe place. And the way we do it here in our peer groups is that we form smaller groups, let's say 20, 25 executives, and everyone then sign a non-disclosure agreement. We make sure there's no competitors in the room so that you feel that you are very much in a safe space. We then have facilitators to, who are there to look after the conversations. There's no minutes of the meeting. There's no recordings. So you should really feel just like you would with a one-on-one situation with a coach when you're discussing your challenges. The only difference here is that it's a group of other, perhaps if you're in a group of business owners who can help you and they can mm-hmm. share, well, this is also what happened to me a few years ago and this is how I solved the problem. So it's about getting this sympathy, getting this support and getting this help and you should leave a session like this, you know, feeling enlightened that you're not alone and someone is there to help me because then you are feeling the connection with other people. Yes. And and I think also it's kind of like a sanity check (laughs) because I also get that with coaching clients. They present a situation because, you know, weird things can happen at work with personalities and ambitions and market pressures. I mean, a lot of times people find themselves in these really strange situations and they start to question their own sanity. (laughs) And so it's often helpful to talk to somebody who can tell you, no, you're not insane. That is crazy. That person is definitely not operating, uh, you know, solid from a solid foundation. They really are out to get you. Yeah, I know that's true, Laura. We want to feel that reassurance many times, especially if you are 
busy senior executives, you're dealing with so many new challenges every day. So to have someone who can help you with that, that's really, really is good. You get that reassurance, you can feel peace of mind. And yes, you say yeah, you're not crazy. <laughs> so so to get to to kind of avoid going down the path that you went down, I, I can imagine some of the people in our audience thinking, well, Laura, Nick, I'm not, you know, C-suite. I'm just a director, senior director, or, you know, a, a SME level. So why do I need to know about executive loneliness? What would you say to that person who's wondering if it really applies to them, even though they are a high performer, but not yet in the executive suite? Well, you have to start at that level or the best is to start at that level because it's very painful otherwise to go your way up to the top and isolating yourself at the top. If you can start early on, the better it is. And and Laura, when I wrote my book, Executive Loneliness, it's full of uh, um, interviews of senior executives. And I interviewed a woman who is a managing director for a bank and she had worked her way all the way up and everyone thought that she had it all, a beautiful car, children with their own nanny and all the kind of luxuries that you can ever imagine. And on the outside, everything looked perfect. But on the inside, she was not well. And a few years ago, she had a small cosmetic surgery on her face after an accident. And she lost her self-confidence around her colleagues. And that resulted in losing her confidence around her husband at home. She started pushing him away and isolating himself at home and at work. She as if you ask her how did, was she behaving when you ask her now she said I behaved like a bitch I elbowed my way <laughs> all I wanted was getting the promotions getting mm-hmm. the money and I didn't care about my colleagues and I was wondering why no one wanted to go for lunch with me now it's clear to me and when I interviewed her Laura the first time that is basically what she told me then a few days later I received an SMS and she said uh, can we meet again and she said Nick I need to tell you that. When I was feeling that bad and I felt so lonely, it went as far as I rehearsed my own suicide twice. Oh, my gosh. So yes. that's how isolated she felt in her own skin, both in a, uh, at home and, and at work. So it shouldn't have to go that far. And just the fact that she opened up to me, she then opened up to a therapist and discussed it with her husband. And they now have a wonderful relationship as a result of her just opening up. Oh, that is a beautiful story. And <laughs> makes me think that... <laughs> For our dear audience members, you know, somebody that's super annoying at work, maybe they are having this kind of problem. Maybe some of the what we call toxic behaviors are actually the result of executive loneliness. Have you found that situation often? Yes, absolutely. And these are the kind of people that many times not will not even discuss this conversation. They will not show up if you have this conversation as an event, or they will not, they will just not associate themselves with it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not suffering. That means that most likely they're so uncomfortable even discussing this, uh, that they avoid it to every price, like this lady who had never been talking about this before. And uh, it, it shouldn't have to go as far as in her case, or in, as in my case, or in, as in other cases, I actually um, dedicated my book uh, to a friend of mine who died of suicide, in Singapore in 2019, a senior executive as well. Wow, I didn't know it was that serious, Nick. I Mm -hmm. really didn't. I know that you could have mental issues and I know about drug addiction because of executive loneliness, but I did not know that suicide was also a result and that it was that painful to people. 
So imagine. So everybody, you need to take care of your mental health. You need to make sure you're talking to people and people who can support you. Talking to your friends at work about your uh, Frankenstein project that you've been assigned to is probably not the best idea. You need to look for not companionship, really, but some kind of friendship at a work level, right? I mean, the, the peer networks do provide a level of friendship, don't you think? Yes, and there's so many places you can talk uh, to people, and sometimes people say, oh, I cannot afford it, there's, uh, but there's, there's so many uh, charities and organizations and anonymous support organizations which are there, and they don't cost a thing, or many rely on $1 or $2 donation for a meeting uh, that's what i had to do laura because when i was not well i also was uh, so stressed out with work then my way of relaxing in the evening turned suddenly from exercise into instead consuming too much alcohol and that is a downward path i consumed too much for a while and i had to work that out i had to see a doctor for it and i had to see some a support group to help me with that as well and that again is quite common when you're not feeling well, then something, some kind of addiction can quickly take over and run and ruin your life. Yes, that, I, that is true. I don't, I did mention that you were a supreme athlete. Is it an Ironman? Is that what you do now for fun? To, <laughs> doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me, but t- tell us how you got into that hobby. Yeah, so I, I used to exercise and, and I always loved it, but I used to run. But as you get older, perhaps just running is too hard on your body. So when you do triathlons, you mix it up with a bit of swimming and cycling as well. So that's what I started to do. And then when I crashed uh, in 2015 for a few years, I couldn't do much sport. Uh, but when I came back and now, as I call myself being in recovery for the last few years, I love exercising and that is my real happy pill. I, I, I don't need any, any drugs or alcohol or medicine or anything to be happy these days. It's, uh, it's connecting with people, connecting with myself, connecting with something bigger in the universe and, and exercise. That's, that's what makes me happy. And finally, and very importantly, is indeed to giving back because the gift I received here to be in recovery uh, by people who helped me. I'm now uh, also volunteering and trying to help others who might have been struggling. That is so, so good. So, so Nick, let's say there's somebody listening to this who's thinking, well, I'm not suicidal, but I am feeling a little stressed or a, a lot of anxiety. Like what would be some places you know, they say, I don't, I don't know where to start. Like where, where would you suggest they start to, to find a peer group that they could talk to? I mean, of course you can always call a therapist or a coach, but what if you just want to talk to somebody in the business world? Well, it, it can be any organization where you perhaps already have a membership. Think about this is someone you connected well in there. Why don't you ask them uh, to meet up for a coffee and you know, just start sharing something about yourself. And again, it's 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 uh, to practice just uh, to start sharing with people. Because if you share something about yourself, chances is that the other person will start feeling comfortable with you and sharing something back with you. And that's when you're building a relationship. You cannot imagine that you're going to go too deep right away. This has to be built up. But I'm sure that most of us have a few people, even within the family or 
someone we worked with perhaps in the past or an organization we belong to there must be someone you can speak to and if it's not then turn to one of these anonymous uh, support organizations there's so many if you go in uh, to look in your search engine on your computer you will find one which is pretty close to where you are i'm sure all right so tell us for those who are interested in learning more about this topic what can they learn from your book executive loneliness give us a just a little uh, preview or little sketch of what all the content that they can learn on this topic from your book. Yeah, sure. And basically, uh, I divided my book up in five steps. So let me briefly mm -hmm. talk through the five steps one by one. And uh, this is about being in recovery. Perhaps you are not feeling so well, you can be burned out or stressed or having anxiety, what it is. And the first step I identified is to taking stock. Just imagine that you are a shop owner. You once or twice a year or once a month or whatever it is, you would calculate and do a complete stock take. This would probably be done in a software or an Excel file where you know what you have. And I recommend everyone to take stock of ourselves. How often do we actually write down on a paper? How am I? And, and checking in on everything. And uh, what I mean here is all about your health and how are you? And try to be very honest with yourself. It's about really looking yourself in the mirror. And when I did this, when I took stock about myself, I had to be honest. I, I was consuming too much alcohol. I had gained weight. I had stopped exercising. I was not sleeping well. There was a whole list of issues and problems. So that was the first step that, that I outlined. And also, I had to include in this list some issues I had with some relationships with my family. I was, as I mentioned, going through divorce. I eventually resigned. I had all these kind of issues. And that had to be part of this uh, stock list. And that was the first step. Okay. Yeah, I think it was yeah, knowing that there's a problem is <laughs> essential. But it's, and it's painful to acknowledge that, right? Because in a way, you're it feels like that you're admitting that you're a failure, which for a high performer is just I mean, excruciatingly painful. Yes. And again, we, ha we have to understand that if we can identify these weaknesses and these issues, of course, we will become a much better performer and better human being for ourselves and other people when we uh, later on address it. And it's only start by identifying it. Otherwise, how can we do anything about it? That's exactly right. And that it can get better. You can, even if people don't have the solution to, to what you're facing, they're going to have ideas and there, you know, you can get outside of your organization. So what you say will not be used against you, which you never really know that when you're having internal conversations. You know, we both have heard of so many cases where somebody confided when they should not have, and in some way it came back to bite them. So yeah, yeah just getting it out and finding out you're not ins insane and that interfacing having conversations with people outside of your company is good for you anyway even if your mental health is just brilliant right because i think it i like to go to conferences about other industries i went to one with my sister on interior design which is nothing to do with communication coaching at all but it was fascinating and i learned this whole other world and and how suddenly it shaped my thinking and improved my craft. Hmm. 
Yeah, there you go. And and so, yeah, the first step then was to take stock. And then the second step is indeed asking for help. So what I did then was, well, I had to go to a doctor. I had to see someone for my alcohol problem. I had to address my relationship issues. And because I was going through a divorce, I saw, for example, a child therapist who could help me with a, with, to make sure that my son would be okay in this situation. And I addressed basically everything I needed help with. I basically sorted out. So that was the, the second step then asking for help. And again, there's so many charities where you can get support and other people that you can ask for help. And you'd be surprised when you start asking for help, people would be normally willing to help you. It's so true. I uh, talk to, you know, a lot of people, introverts who are afraid to ask for help. I'm like, are you kidding me? People, we all love to be helpful. Even the most selfish person, you know, if you get a chance to be helpful, I mean, it's fun. It's uh, that when your expertise eases the pain or somehow helps another human being, there is nothing like it. That's right. And then the, the third step I had was getting healthy. And with that, I really mean start eating well and uh, drinking the right things and water and, and so on, and also exercising. And uh, I worked, for example, with I needed support and guidance. And I had a coach who helped me to create an exercise plan. It started basically by walking and then stretching more and more. And that's why I find myself today doing these Ironman triathlons, because I realized that I can, what can I do more now? I already can run five kilometers. What should I do? And it stretched more and more. So I got healthier and healthier. Uh, and it, it it becomes perhaps in my case a better if I have an addicted personality, it's better I have a healthy addiction rather than a bad addiction. And I had to live with that, but at least it's something for me there. Uh, so yeah, indeed, the third step I identified in my book was yeah, getting healthy. Oh, that's such such good advice, and that's good for everybody actually to get healthy. And yeah, you're right. I think for the hyper competitive personality, maybe that is you, like channeling that into your health instead of you know trying to elbow out the other executives at work is probably a more pleasant and helpful and healthy alternative so what do we do after we start to get healthy in this process many times if you have then faced loneliness there will be relationships that are broken down so now step number four is nurturing healthy relationships and what i mean with this is really going back again, because you did your taking stock, you did your inventory in the first step. Uh, so it's about repairing those relationships. And in my case, for example, there was many friends, uh, previous colleagues, even my own sister, I had things where I had not made amends, where I had not apologized, where I hadn't repaired the relationships. So in this step, you really go back one by one, and you list it out and repair those relationships. And I can remember going back to make amends with my sister over something that happened a few years ago that was constantly on my mind. When I mentioned this incident, she couldn't even remember it. So it was only in my mind. Oh, wow. I was, was, but was there ever somebody you were repairing these relationships? She said, I appreciate the apology, Nick, but I'm done with you. Like, I don't want anything to do with you ever again. Is there ever, are there people that don't want to repair the relationship? Yeah, and, and that's fine. As long as you have cleaned then your side of the street, you have to be prepared for that. If you go back to 10 people, maybe eight or nine accept it, maybe one or two don't, and that's okay, and that's life. But you, 
the feeling afterwards when you cleaned your past and the relationships that you don't walk around and having these negative feelings. And many times it is about colleagues or perhaps a ex-boyfriend or ex-wife or whatever right. it is. And right. It's just too painful. We need to repair those. And that's what uh, I did in, in, in step four, repairing the, the, uh, the backlog of the luggage that you're carrying mm -hmm. around. And then once you've done that, it's about doing this. I do this on a day-to-day -day basis as much as I can remember now. Before I go to bed, did I say something? Did I send an email that I didn't mean to send? Then you can always go back and recall that email and resend it. Say, sorry, I will give you a call tomorrow. You can send a message saying, oh, that didn't come out right. Please give me a chance to give you a call tomorrow. Or let's talk about it. I'm sorry. That was not what I meant. We can do that very easily. And then at least when you go to bed, you will feel a lot better and have a better night's sleep. Yeah, it sounds like a daily examination of your conscience, which is a very healthy exercise. I think that the nurturing, and not nurturing, but repairing the relationships, though, that was, that to me sounds even harder than running a triathlon. <laughs> and so, as far as really swallowing your pride and saying, I screwed up, right? I should have done better. I hurt you. I am sorry. Yeah, and this is very tough. And this, I have been helped actually many senior executives uh, the last two years to coach them because they have felt isolated and lonely in the company. And many times it could be that the relationships are broken down with colleagues and so on. And of course, then you feel lonely. And it's about really repairing these. And even if you think that the other person have done you wrong, uh, you cannot afford to walk around with those feelings. You just have to fix it. Right. Oh, my. And, you know, this makes me think of this idea that I have that we need to know the truth, you know, the truth about our relationships, about ourselves, and that you cannot make good decisions if you do not have contact or connection with the truth. And I think that is a theme of your loneliness work is that because of fear or bad experiences, then we shut ourselves off from certain emotional or human contact, which limits our exposure to the truth about at some level, you know, the truth about, well, you could have done this better. And this thing you actually did very well. And, you know, you have, you know, we call it self-awareness today, but I also think it has to do with facing the truth about ourselves and our situations. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100% with that, Laura. All right, Nick. Well, we're uh, running out of time. This has been a very deep dive into uh, the topic of mental health and executive loneliness and repairing relationships. I, you know, that is not a topic that I usually discuss on this podcast. So I thank you for bringing us to this level. Is there any other, uh, I'll let you have the last word if you would like to say anything else to our audience, high achievers, high performers, ambitious people, but that also want to do good in the world. So tell, you know, you close out with some message of your choice. Absolutely, Laura. And it's perfect timing for that because the, the, the closing also of my book was the, the fifth chapter, which was finding your purpose. And that is what it's all about. As, we, as you clearly said before, also, if you define yourself in your work, your workplace, you're not going to be happy. We need something outside of work that make us happy. Look deep inside yourself. What is the purpose? What is it that you want to do? 
what make you happy. And that is what I did at that stage. And I realized that my recovery was a gift and I needed to give that back. And that's what I'm very happy to do these days. And helping someone else who's going through a challenging time makes me happy. And it makes me also remember the difficult days I had and now very mm-hmm. much appreciate the days when I'm more open and I have everything in order, or at least as much as I can at my side. Right. So I want to ask you then, Nick. So do you see, you know, this podcast and the people here, we're all about you know, having successful careers. So is this a successful career an end unto itself or is it a means to achieve a deeper purpose? What do you think? I definitely think it should be a mean to do, to really find something with a deeper meaning inside yourself, something that is more meaningful. It shouldn't just be for a paycheck and trying to get the promotions. That's never going to make us happy. All right. You heard it from a pro, from somebody who has the scars of having, you know, paid a a hefty price for his uh, loneliness. Nick Johnson, who now lives in Singapore, his book is called Executive Loneliness. It's available at Amazon. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your candor and sharing with this all important topic. Those of you listening, I know that you've gotten so much value out of this. You've got some definite things to think about. And I encourage you to have a look at his book and have a good day. I will talk to everyone soon. Bye-bye.